0: You can turn to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, Trinity Sunday, uh, Christians around the world, millions of Christians celebrate this every year after Pentecost. Pentecost is when the new arrangement between God and people happened, the new covenant. So it's a good time to celebrate, uh, the, the new revelation God has given about himself that lets us know definitively that we don't worship one solitary unitary god we worship one god who eternally exists as three persons and i want to talk for a second as we begin about why this matters salvation is about relationship salvation is jesus rescuing you so you can be part of his family because he wants you to be there in the new creation to come he wants you to be part of his family it's about relationship it's about community so that means that if we're going to have a relationship with god then we need to actually know who he is know him as he is to love him and worship him and honor him and obey him but you can't you can't claim a relationship with someone if you don't know the person it's kind of a you know prerequisite you need to know the person in order to have a relationship christians need to know god who he is What he is, his nature, his character, his makeup, and our God, the only true God, is triune. Summed up in a bunch of places, but seen, one of the places we can really see this is in John chapter 10, verse 30. And this is important enough that we take one Sunday a year, in addition to anything I happen to mention on a Wednesday or in theology class, uh, we take one Sunday a year and just talk about God being triune so we can remember this. Um, the Trinity is really hard. I was at an ordination council um, a few weeks ago where a bunch of pastors get together and we um, interrogate a guy who wants to be a pastor to see if he knows enough to be a pastor and we can, so, the, so recommend to the person's church whether we think that he should be ordained as a pastor and at the ordination um, one of the things we asked him was about god and the trinity and he couldn't answer like he didn't know the doctrine well at all and there were other issues but that was one reason why we recommended this guy is not ready to be a pastor he doesn't know who god is um you know if you're an ordinary person i understand being confused and a lot of churches never there is no trinity sunday no one ever really teaches it except for what you might have got at sunday school But if you're going to be a teacher of God's word, you should know who God is so you can tell other people. It's kind of a kind of a big deal. So the Trinity is important. So we're going to talk about it today. And we can see this in John chapter 10, verse 30. He says, I'll read verse 29. He says, my father who's given them to me, given the the people, the sheep um, who he's saving. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are what? One. I and the Father are one. And everything I'm going to talk about today is sort of packed into that one statement. The Trinity is not a, not a doctrine. You can just go to one verse and say, aha, bam, here it is. Um, like like you know repent and believe the gospel the Trinity is not in one verse it's a whole summary of the evidence about who God is and I want the, the goal today is not that you leave here memorizing a doctrine of the Trinity but that you can remember three foundational pillars about the three things that make up the definition and then when you read your New Testaments throughout the year, throughout the week, throughout the month, you'll see it. If you can remember those three things, you will see the doctrine just in the casual everyday way the writers of the New Testament write. And as you see it, you'll you'll believe it, it'll be strengthened, it'll stop being a doctrine that floats around in your head, and it'll be something that cleaves to your heart because you can see it just emerge from the page even when the Trinity is not really being discussed. And that's what I hope that you leave here with today and everything I say could be explained more if any theology professor watches this he'll probably be like there's so much more and my response is well yeah you try doing it in 25 minutes so um, everything I say is true but there's more but this is enough to let us know God and worship him as he truly truly is so I'm going to tell you the definition, we're going to talk about how we should think about the oneness of God, how we should think about the threeness, and then we'll be done. Enjoy your Sunday. So let's do this. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to know you as you are. Uh, Convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and encourage us to love you more, to know you more, to know who you really, really are. And help us to see that as we read our Bibles today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this coming year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you like to write things down, uh, you don't have to write down this slide. Uh, The next slide would be the one you want to write down, but I'll put it up here anyway. What is the Trinity? Uh, So here's the nerdy definition. uh, Then I'll move on to more practical stuff. Within the one being that is God, one God, there eternally exists three co-equal and co-eternal persons, three persons, equal, been around forever, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the nerdy definition. And if you like to take notes, these are the three things that you can remember about the Trinity. You can remember this. And if you can remember this, you will never go wrong. Ever. And here are the three things. Three like pillars holding up a building. And this is what the three pillars are. There's only one God. Hopefully that's not a newsflash, right? We don't worship multiple gods. There's one God. One God. That's pillar number one. Pillar number two is there are three divine persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three divine. One God, three divine persons. The third pillar is that these persons are co-equal and co-eternal. They're equal. The Son is not less than the Father. The Spirit is not less than the Father and Son. They're all on the same plane, okay? And they're all eternal. They've all been around forever. There was never a time when Jesus didn't exist. There's never a time when the Spirit didn't exist. Now, I don't think any of these are revolutionary if you've been a Christian. But if you can remember these three things and put them together as a package, you have the doctrine of the Trinity, And my burden here is not just to give you a definition and have you walk away, but to remember these three things and then I'll show it to you uh, from a few places in scripture throughout the course of of the next several minutes. These three pillars. And as all the Philistines found out when they gouged out Samson's eyes, if you take down a pillar that supports something, the whole thing comes crumbling down and bad things happen if one of these pillars goes away then you don't have the trinity that's why you just need to remember the three pillars if one of them goes away bad things happen now i'm going to show you this cool illustration uh if you take away one god you have an arrow pointing it you have many gods which is not god so you have to keep that that pillar is important if you dump one god then you have a bunch of gods if you forget about or don't keep in mind that we have there's one god who consists of three persons then what you end up with is one single unitary being who just plays different roles like an actor today i'm the father but tomorrow i take off my i take off the vest i put on another costume and now i'm the son and then 10 minutes from now i'll dash in there and change clothes and now i'll be the holy spirit We don't have a God who just plays different roles and puts on different costumes, you know, as the curtain goes back and you do an outfit change. So if you forget there's three persons, you just have an actor who plays a bunch of roles, and that's not true. And if you forget that each person is equal and eternal, then you have persons who aren't equal. You have Jesus who's not as powerful as the Father, Jesus who's not as holy as the Father, Jesus who's not as. Glorified as the father you have you have like an organizational chart The father's in charge the son does what he says and the spirit does what they both say and that's not true either So these pillars Go back these pillars if you can remember these pillars You'll never go wrong and you will understand What the Trinity is? That doesn't help us to picture the oneness and the threeness, which is what I'm going to spend the next few minutes talking about to help you get this and and understand it. The Trinity is a doctrine you see as you read the scripture. It's not something I can just teach you from a book um, and then you'll you'll, you'll just walk away saying, I got everything. You you have to see it in the scriptures. So one God, three divine persons, each person is co-equal and co-eternal. I will talk now about how do you understand the oneness thing? How do you understand oneness? Is it a shock to anyone that there's one God? Moses thought so. Bam, there it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Lord is one. One. One God. There it is. Not revolutionary. Christians have always believed there's only one God. James James says the same thing there's a bunch of places I could go but these are popular phrases that people know James says that even demons know there's only one God Uh, there is one God so the oneness thing is important we don't have three gods we have one God so how should we understand this oneness how can one God eternally exist as three persons and this is how sometimes one can literally mean one like There is one single candy in this bucket. In fact, I never got my candy last month. I forgot to eat it. So now there'll be zero candy left in this bucket. So sometimes one is one. There's one candy in the bucket. There is one single microphone here on this stage. There is one single computer mouse. So sometimes one is just one. But sometimes one is like a compound thing. There's one global family of God right? One family that consists of a whole bunch of people. There is one baseball team in Seattle that loses every year. I was in the gym last night. I don't follow the Mariners. I was in the gym last night and they were losing 15 to 3. I like laughed and cackled and people were looking at me. It's terrible. There's one baseball team in Seattle that always loses. SKRBC is one local church consisting of a whole bunch of people. So sometimes one is one, and sometimes one is a, a compound sort of thing. God is one in that sense, the compound sense. And you can see this in a bunch of places, and I'll, just, I'll, I'll show you them now. And again, as you read scripture and you look for it, you will just see this. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Who's the us? Who is he talking to? Because God is not a solitary one like the one candy in the bucket. He's a compound one. Let us, one unit, one team, one constellation of three persons, make mankind in our image. After the fall, the Lord, Genesis 3.22, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Who is the us? Who's the us? God and his cat, who's the us? It's not a solitary oneness, it's a compound oneness. A trio of one, a trio made into one. And then in John chapter 10, John chapter 10 verses 29 and 30, we see it again. You see hints in the Old Testament, but you really see the Trinity in the New Testament, especially in John 14 to 16. If you read John 14 to 16 and pay close attention, you'll see Father, Son, and Spirit all over the place. Referred to as one, but yet distinct. And here's John 10, 29 and 30. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, which I read earlier. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So how do you understand the oneness? The oneness is a compound thing, like one baseball team, one global family of Christians. One analogy that could work if you analogies don't ever get the whole thing, but they help nibble around the edges and get us to see different parts. One analogy that could be helpful for you or if it's not, then just dump it and move on is an analogy of Siamese twins or conjoined twins. Sometimes there are conjoined twins who share the same heart, who even share the same brain and the same parts of the same nervous system. There's, a, there's a, uh, a conjoined twin adult couple in Canada, and their brains and their nervous systems are intertwined. You can tickle the feet of one of the girls, and the other girl will also laugh. Um, so there's a oneness and a twoness at the exact same time to, to these two ladies. They're one, and yet they're individual. But they share the same heart. They share the same blood, not the way you and your, bio, not the way you and your brother and sister do, but they actually share the same blood. The actual same blood, the same brain, the same nervous system. You can tickle one's feet and the other laughs. Is this one person or two? Is that there's a oneness and a twoness at the exact same time, And to focus on one or the other will denigrate the whole. So what you, the reason why Christians have believed in a, a compound oneness is there's some sort of swirling um, inner penetration of the three persons to make them into one, like this statement that Jesus makes in John 14, 10 and 11. Um, um, Philip says, well, show us the Father, and that's enough. You know, we want to see the Father. And Jesus says, don't you believe that I am in the Father? and the Father is in me, what's that mean? It's some sort of, some sort of inner penetration that, that, that locks the two people, the Father and the Son are different, that locks them together into one. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Father living in me what does that mean so this oneness there is one god who has this swirling inner penetration of some sort that knits father son and spirit into one like one global family of god that's in a whole bunch of places and a whole bunch of people but is one single family one single family Hopefully, that helps you understand what it means that God is one. One being consists of, eternally consists of three persons. How do you understand the threeness? The threeness. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. Now, pay attention to how many people are mentioned here. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, speaking, um, speaking about Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. Who came and preached peace? Who? Jesus. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to who? To the Father. By who? The Spirit. Son, Father, Spirit. They are not the same. They're different. But yet there's one God. So the Trinity is like a detective novel where you lay out all this evidence and you're like there's one God but there's three people and each of them are God and do God things and are worshipped. So our one God must be compound not unitary like the one candy but one God who has a compound a constellation or a society of three bound together into one. Christians have called Father, Son, and Spirit persons because we don't know what else to say. Words don't really work. Um, one thing that's helpful for us to think of is that God is God is love. 1 John 4.8 says that. God is love. And he says it in 1 John 4.16. Uh, love needs an object. So one solitary being can't love himself. You need someone to, what's that song, we all want somebody to love? Who did that song? doesn't matter you're all horrified now it doesn't matter it's a 60s song I can't think of it anyway uh, love needs an object to, to to love you know in Lord of the Rings Smeagol loved the ring we need someone to love love just doesn't float around by itself so if God is love it makes sense that father son and spirit all love love one another that's that that's who God is this 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 Um mutual love that binds them together. There's some sort of give and take going on. That's why God, but that that can happen because God is not unitary like the candy in here. God is compound. Three persons bound together into one by love because God is love. That's one reason, if you've ever heard sermons or thought about what does it mean that says we're made in the image of god what's genesis mean when it says that it can mean a lot of things but one thing it does mean is that being made in the image of god means we're made for relationship god is in relate father son and spirit are in an eternal bound together relationship knit by love that's why we're all born wanting community father son and spirit are in community god is in community and because we're made in the image of God, we, we reflect that need and that, that hardwired desire for community. That's why we need friends. That's why we need, uh, some of us are married and need spouses. That's why we need friends. That's why we need people. That's why we, we, we're not meant to just be alone in an apartment for 30 years and never speak to other people. We're meant to be in community. That's why the image of God is an, a distant echo of The relationship that Father Son and Spirit have with one another so I'll show you a few more places where we can see the three Titus chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 the relevant parts on the screen but in Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7 this is what Paul writes but he talked about how we were all of us foolish and disobedient all of us were alienated from God but verse 4 when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So God, our Savior, saved us because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by who? The Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God decided to save us. He washed us clean by the Holy Spirit, poured out by Jesus. Three, but yet there's one God. And one of the most famous ones that I'll show you is Jesus' Jesus's baptism. He's baptized by John, and as he comes out of the water, this is what, this is what Mark tells us in Mark chapter uh, 1, verses 10 and 11. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. You have the sun coming out of the water. You have the spirit descending on the sun. And then a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. He's speaking to the son, who is a different person, who can hear what the father is saying while The Spirit is descending upon him. And then at once, who drives him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights? The Spirit drives him in. The Spirit is not a force like what Darth Vader used or Obi-Wan. He is a person who can act. The Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. We have one God who has eternally existed as three divine persons, each is highlighted in the scripture with different roles. Each person can be distinguished from the other, can be spoken to, can be acted upon. That Each of them is the, is the agent of the same constellation or society that is the one God. They're all acting together on the exact same page for the exact same purpose, with the exact same will and mind and goal and, and mission. That's why they can speak about the other as though they're talking about themselves. In John 14, Jesus says, he tells the disciples, don't worry that I'm leaving. I'm going to send the Spirit to you, the Comforter, and he'll be with you forever. But then he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But he just said he was sending the Spirit. And he says, I will come to you. I will be with you. But he said he was sending the Spirit. Where one goes, all the others go too so it's this that that swirling interpenetration thing the father uh, i am in the father the father's in me uh thing that jesus mentions that is that that communicates that the last analogy i'll give you to try and understand the threeness and how three can yet be one um is an which i've used many times before is this analogy of a marriage the analogy of a marriage you have one Um, couple one single couple man and woman and yet the couple consists of two individual people but yet each person is not alone they're actually one single couple two people one couple and just like in a marriage when the more longer you're married the more you know each other the more you can like in some bizarre way, know what the person's thinking or saying uh, without having without anything actually being said. You you know the person so well; it's like you can telepathically communicate in some bizarre way, um, and in an infinitely better way. Father, Son, and Spirit can perfectly communicate with no barriers between one another in the one constellation that is God. The three persons bound together by this this love that locks them in with one another into one, marriage is a distant analogy that helps us to try and picture how one single, uh, one single unit can consist of more than one. So these pillars, oh, oops, I was supposed to put that up there. There it is. Um, these three pillars, if you can remember these three pillars, and you see it when you read your New Testament, you will remember and be able to better understand the doctrine of the trinity there's one single god who consists of three divine persons and each person is co-equal and co-eternal this isn't a doctrine you memorize it's a doctrine you see we're saved because the father chose us and the son rescued us and the holy spirit seals our salvation and gives us assurance and help and comfort we pray to the Father through jesus by the power of the holy spirit and yet there's only one god as we remember the trinity and as you read your new testament and you see it just in 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 places you didn't even they aren't even speaking about the trinity i hope it'll drive each of us to 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 know God more, to want to know more about who he really is because that's what being in relationship means. We know the other. Jesus has entered Jesus has entered into a relationship with us and our job is to read his word through the power of the spirit so we can know God more, know him better and worship him better because of it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to love you more. Help us to know you more. Lead us to see who you are as we read our Bibles, to see it on the page and make it real in our hearts so we worship you as you really are and not a version of you that's not accurate. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>